0: The ultimate action figures are here. Real articulation, real detail. Diago Sanchez,
1: Andre Olofsky, Anderson Silva, Forrest Griffin. UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship. Series seven, in stores now. More info, www.facebook.com backslash
0: UFC toys. As real as it gets, Jack Pacific and UFC.
2: 2011 Zefa, LLC, all rights reserved. TM and copyright 2011 Jack, Specific 8, Malibu, California, 90265 USA. Contents may vary in style, color, shape, and decoration from images shown in the package or in the advertising.
1: Welcome, dear listener, to our
0: podcast. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of comics that include a member of the most underrated Marvel series from the 80s while drinking beer.
1: Analyzing awesome and amazing adjacent adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am
0: Jeff. I am Rick. I'm Douglas. Top coat, top hat. And I don't worry, cause my wallet's fat. Black shades. White gloves Looking sharp Looking for love They come running just as fast as they can Cause every girl random about a banter man Random banter time buddies Talk to me, tell me tall tales and tantalizing tidbits of trivia today Every time I have a guest, I always forget to explain
1: this part You know what? I'm rolling with it (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> and, and and
1: I've even finally figured out why he's saying ZZ Top, sharp-dressed man. It's the beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was also going to say that it's also because Peter Parker in this is sharp-dressed when he shows up at the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. Baxter building in an offensive suit for Sue and everybody else.
0: It's all about the clothes in this issue. Issue. It's uh, I don't know what the issue is about, but I know it was about clothes. A lot of fashion. <laughs> this is like... Devil Warriors Prada, Spider-Man edition. Nice. Sharp-dressed nice. man.
1: We should start off and just kind of move past Jeff and his quote-unquote singing and get to <laughs> the real reason, well, the second real reason why we're here. We're here for the comic book, of course, but we have a guest. We have Douglas Woke with us, and I am so excited because he is a Portland, Oregon, well, not native, but uh, he lives in Portland, Oregon with us, and he is also a two-time Eisner winner for books about comic books. And his most recent one is All of the Marvels, which I have read. I've got it right here next to me. And I've got a nice little note from him in it as well. Fantastic book where he has read all 27,000 Marvel superhero comics and wrote about them. Douglas, welcome. Thank you for coming on our show.
2: Thank you for having me. Nice to be here.
1: I've been talking to you a lot. We've run into each other a few times at Books with Pictures. I've wanted to have you come on the show because it's nothing... I mean, we like to say we're experts about Power Pack, but it's nice to have an expert about comic books here to actually set us straight and to make sure that we're doing things
0: right. Yeah, our expertise comes from that we've read Power Pack. Yes. That's all the expertise anybody needs. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It really is Pretty what it much. boils down to. It's kinda like, Hey, you wanna be an expert on it? Read it. What do you think? Yeah. There you yeah. go. You wanna listen to a couple of schmoes talk about it as well? That's awesome for us. So
1: Do you want to talk really quickly about your book? Like I said, I've read it, I enjoy it, I picked up a few different things from it, and I've actually dropped some of the knowledge that you've talked about in this show, but you wanna just kind of give a little book cover speech
2: on it, if you will. Sure. I mean All of the Marvels is the book about, it actually is a parent and kid uh, story at its heart, very much like this show. It is about what happened when my son kind of gave me the idea of like, what would actually happen if I read all of the Marvel superhero comics since 1961? Like, what does that half million page story look like as a story? What does the, you know, 40,000 foot view of it look like? And, I thought it was going to take, you know, a year, year and a half to do all the reading, maybe eight months to write the book. And seven years later, here we are. It took a while, plunged myself deep into it, found all sorts of interesting things that you'll find in the book. And, you know, Power Pack is a significant part of that, especially Franklin Richards. I have a whole thing with Franklin Richards, but yeah.
1: Like I said, I really enjoyed it. it it's a different perspective. It's something I've mentioned a lot since I've read it, why do you like Marvel comics, especially why do you like Marvel comics more than DC? And well, I know my reasons. It's just kind of what I've always enjoyed. And I've had some of my own feelings on it, but reading how you conceptualize Marvel comics as one story, one continuous story. And that's something that DC doesn't necessarily have.
2: Now, see, I get asked a lot, like, you know, are you really a a Marvel person, Mm -hmm. not a DC person? My, My first answer to that is I like both kinds of music, country and Western. Yep, But, you know, If you had to ask me what my favorite giant body of comics work with multiple series set in the same universe was, I would probably say Judge Dredd. Okay. (laughs) Judge Dredd is
0: great. (laughs) Yeah. Love Judge Dredd. I'm glad that it still exists as a medium, whether it's just the the movies that pop out from here to there where it's just like, oh, that's... Touching on the basis of what Judge Dredd is about, and then you had the Carl Urban one, which was very, I thought, pretty true to the source material. But you know, it's just like, yeah, Judge Dredd, great stuff. So,
2: and the comic's been coming out every week since 1977, mm-hmm. every week.
0: A lot of dark dystopia for
2: 2,200 plus, yeah, episodes. Yeah, and it's amazing; it keeps getting better. <laughs> Amazingly enough. Anyway, that's that's my plug for the thing that is not Marvel, <laughs> um,
1: and that's another piece of it too. Is Why do you like comic books? You've got your own reason to like comic books. And like you said, beginning, how do you become an expert on it? You read it. Mm -hmm. How do you become a fan? You pick it up and enjoy it. You know, there's no gatekeeping with this at all. It's just this is the story that something like Marvel Comics has created spanning over 60 plus years now. And
2: this is what they do. And you absolutely don't have to read everything to get it. Like no. you don't you really like, don't do what I did. Don't, <laughs> don't follow my example. I did
0: this. So you don't have to uh, <laughs> learn from my mistakes. That's a, a, exactly, a very exactly. common parenting trope. And it, it's kind of fun too, because putting that idea onto
1: what we are doing here where we are following certain characters and we Mm -hmm. are following them throughout the universe and we are reading the books that they show up in, but that we're not necessarily reading all the other books around it. So yeah, we're falling into some of that trap too of Mm -hmm. we're picking up fantastic four. We know in theory what's happened before and what's going to happen after this, but we're following the kids and we're following the Mm storyline as we pick it up. So it's a different kind of take on that. We are creating our own story about what the universe is and, through the eyes of the characters that we are looking at,
2: yeah, completely, yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> and and like I said, I do love having you on the show too because it's it's a lot of fun to share this with somebody who has got a good take on these characters in this universe too. So
0: let's get to the chase, Rick. You're just excited to have somebody that you can talk to about speedball.
1: Speedball. There you go. Speedball. Speedball it, it, is there. my man. As soon as we finish this Power Pack <laughs> podcast, we are starting a speedball
0: podcast. No, we are and not we are going to. Mm-mm. Fantastic Frogman.
1: <laughs> we are we are gonna we are gonna follow the career of Speedball <laughs> and Furball and or Furball hairball, gonna, and Furball. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 <laughs> Furball's still around. I want to say amazingly. Maybe sure. Why not? Let's just say yes. It's a Marvel character. Right, I, right up until the point that becomes
1: the petulant puss. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we are going to <laughs> move on from those disturbing images and get into this comic that you asked to be on. So uh, I'm yeah. excited to get your feedback onto this new edition because like i said we've been following fantastic four and now we've got something brand spanking new when we're actually typing into amazing spider-man so yay mm-hmm. jeff can you please start us off by giving us a two cents replay of last episode
0: In a brand new issue number one, the Fantastic Four have changed their name to the FF and have invited Spider-Man to join at the posthumous request of Johnny Storm. Meanwhile, a rogue group of AIM scientists have decided that the best way to foster innovation would be to break a naked and clearly insane Bentley Whitman out of his high security prison and have him join them on their hopefully peaceful and non-intrusive scientific adventures. Now that the one more person joins the new FF at the end of the issue, and it just happens to be the one, the only, if you don't count Doombots, Victor Von Doom. Two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Now, I have brought you a beer, but
1: Douglas does not partake of that, and so he is going to have his own beverage that he is going to share with us. But, Jeff... Can you please reach into that paper bag that I dropped off on your doorstep, oh, a week and a half ago, along with a whole bunch of other paper bags, and tell me what you find
0: in there. I'm just always happy that when this box of flaming, non-flaming bags appears, I know that it's a beer, not something I don't want. So let's see. What's in this bag labeled Amazing Spider-Man 658? It is. Oh, it's a beer. Beach Trip by Brewery 26 Pacific Pale Ale. Hmm, beach trip. Why would it be beach trip? Oh, let's see, because they're going on a road trip. They might go to they some beaches. They going on a road trip. They're going to the lovely beaches of France, inland. They're going to the lovely beaches of the Microverse, super inland. And then they're going to... Where's the third place they go to? I the can't actual remember. beach. An actual <laughs> beach, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the beach trip is the final destination that they're going to, but it's it's a trip. It's a trip, and the final destination is a beach. How they get there, that's not important, or it is important.
2: The future, the
0: that's where it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> And somehow I ended up with uh, Rose Cordial
0: from Portland Syrups. But, you know, that's it's beachy. Yes. They eat pastries in France that I'm sure were quite sweet like syrup. Tied yes. it in. Yep. I did got it. Perfect. Yep. Well done. Good job. Oh, and I forgot to say that this is a, uh, it looks like a road sign. It's a yellow label with uh, dark blue lettering. And story time on it is 12 fluid ounces.
1: And specific pale ale. And it's got the Brewery 26, kind of like Highway 26, which goes out to the beach. Right by Jeff's
0: house. Mm -hmm. Go by that many
1: a time. And this is a 5.5% ABV, 38 IBU, a smooth pale ale made for enjoying with friends. Hey, perfect. Simple malt bills meet a blend of citra and matioka hops for an easy drinking and flavorful pale. Bring some on your next trip to the beach. And Jeff, I got you a pale ale instead of an
0: IPA. Are you happy? Entirely different. Yep. Instead of India, it's Pacific. So we've we've, (laughs) we've bumped an ocean. So that's good for us. It smells real nice. It smells like uh, a pale ale. Uh, It kind of has a little sweet aroma to it. It pours with a nice uh, little bit of frothy head on it that's going down. It is, I would almost say this is a hazy because you cannot see through it, but it has a lovely road sign yellow going to the coloration. Mm -hmm. Smells nice. It smells like what it is and taste is. Good. It's a mild pale ale. It's pleasant. Nice. It is nice. I kind of want to say that there's little apricot notes to it, but mostly it is just, it's a very mild pale ale. Uh, Pleasant. Good. It's actually something that you would like to just be sitting on a beach. Drinking with your friends. This is really good beach beer. That is, in yeah. fact, a really good beach beverage.
2: And about your cherry syrup cordial cordial? Uh rose syrup. Rose
0: not syrup. Cherry. I'm sorry, rose syrup. Yeah.
2: It's one of those things where you just add a teeny little bit to some water or fizzy water and you get the full effect of it. It is very, very concentrated. It is it is genuinely rose y. Like it tastes like roses smell. It is not especially sweet. It is just rose-ish. I kind of love that.
1: Ah, so just just hints the senses just enough to think you're are walking through the Portland Rose Garden. Exactly. Nice, nice, nice. Let's move on. We'll get to the opening credits. We'll get into this book. Jeff,
0: hit us. Amazing Spider-Man Issue 658. June 2011. The Fantastic Spider-Man. Credits. Writer. Dan Slott. Artist. Javier Polito. Letterer. Joe Caramanga. Artist. Mutsu Vicenti. Editor. Steven Wacker. Featuring
1: Spider-Man and his amazing friends, The Thing, Mr. Fantastic, and The Invisible Woman. Guest starring The Future Foundation and Carly Cooper.
2: Hey, Douglas. You are known as an expert in Marvel Comics, correct? Well, you know, I've written the odd book and taught the odd class and yeah, that kind of thing.
0: Cool, cool. Um, the first scene in this book shows a very nervous Peter trying to start a relationship with this young woman, Carly Cooper.
2: Hmm, well, not trying to start. I mean, it's it's underway, but it's at a critical moment. Hmm. A critical juncture.
0: Hmm. So, um, question. Uh, isn't Peter Parker supposed to be married? No, actually, uh, Peter
2: Parker was retroactively never married, thanks to a, a deal with Mephisto. So it's, they kind of not just annulled the marriage, but every reference that you see to Peter and Mary Jane having been married before 2007, 2008, never happened. They were never married. They decided at the altar not to make it happen retroactively. So if you read anything that says they were married, it's wrong.
0: Never happened. Huh. So if you make a deal with Mephisto, he can erase a relationship from the face of the planet. Any relationship. Hmm. Say like a partnership based on comic books and beer. Uh, I'm just asking for a friend.
1: Yep, I'm I'm gonna stop you right there and I'm gonna move on and get back to this intimate moment. It's potentially the first steps in a sleepover style relationship between Pete and Carly, and it's interrupted by a far flung variety of emergency signals.
2: Carly Cooper was Peter Parker's love interest that Dan slot introduced at this point, one of the very, very few people ever to actually figure out Peter Parker's secret. Uh, Right, so Carly gets a phone call from her boss. She's needed on a forensic scene because she's a cop. And Peter uh, sees a signal in the sky that
0: looks like a whole bunch of glowing bats in formation. Wait, I thought this was the Fantastic Four symbol up in the sky. Also, I'm no expert, but isn't... Batman, a DC property? And outside of a single dalliance, we are deep in the paint with Marvel.
2: Uh, You're
0: you're halfway. Uh, So Batman, yes, is is DC, but
2: uh, this is not the Fantastic Four symbol. Uh, Remember, Sue Richards has asked for rebranding. So this is the Baxter Aerial Torch, aka BAT, signal. So it's a new, uh, it's like a triple hexagon sign in the sky that looks like the Future Foundation's new logo. Huh.
0: I want to say you made that up, but your credentials force me to agree with whatever it is you say. I get away with more stuff that way.
1: The pair of
2: lovebirds
1: each excuse themselves from their romantic twist, with Peter laying down
2: a lame lie, lamenting late-night labor at the lab. So back in Web of Spider-Man Annual number 2, there is a backup story called You're Lying, Peter Parker. That is what Peter does. He just can't stop lying, and it keeps getting him into trouble. This is Spider-Man. I think trouble is already there. Danger is his reward. And apparently,
1: lying is his middle name. Now,
2: because Peter
1: is dating a forensic detective, he has made the choice to store his red underoos at the office of Horizon Labs, which is a whole new kind of awkward. Because as he runs through the building, he passes a group of coworkers who are angry that Peter's new invention seems to
0: combine elements of their two works that are in progress. So... First off, why is this place like Grand Central Station when it's pretty late o'clock? So there's actually a deep
2: continuity reason for this, and it is plot convenience. Good, good. Now, also
1: to put Peter in the position of sharing credit for his current project with these two and spending the rest of the issue fretting about the new idea to keep him employed.
0: I'm just glad that Peter finally is in his costume. I'm ready to see that red and blue suit light up my world.
2: So meanwhile, over at the Baxter building... Reed and Sue and Ben are waiting for Peter with a group of their new team, their new association, the Future Foundation, a.k.a. their new child endangerment experiment. Also, Dragon Man. Dragon Man's in there, too.
0: Sue has given orders to Alex and Baby, a.k.a. Dragon Man, that they are in charge, which means a reasonable bedtime for the rest of the kids and no more slideshows of Alex riffing apart bugs. Ah,
1: this is Richards. How else are the kids going to learn?
2: So it's at this point that Peter Parker swings onto the c- scene wearing his version of the old black and blue Fantastic Four suit, except that
0: there's a giant four symbol in the middle with spider legs radiating out from it. I mean, sure, style points, but a bit insensitive, my dude. Remember last episode where we talked about how you got a really cool new uniform from these people that had unstable molecules in it and everything? Ah, jeez. Way to go, Spidey. You show up late in a retired costume that upsets
2: Sue, which upsets Ben. Way to reset the expectation bar to zero, my dude. So Reed Richards hands over the official Future Foundation costume, which he's actually modified, so it's got a spider on it. Uh, And of course, Spider-Man accidentally, quotes, forgot it the last time he was there. He changes. They go take off for a special thing that
0: they are doing. Not before one of the Moloids. And Bentley calls Spidey out for being a big baby. Right, obviously, yeah. Big baby.
1: Hey, there's a great reason why Spidey is such
2: a big
0: baby.
1: This suit is white and black, and they're going to think that he's a bad guy.
0: Oh, okay. Well, we saw that the suit can change colors last episode. Why doesn't he go with the black and white version of the FF costume? So the black and white version that looks like he's
2: old black and white suit, which was an alien symbiote. Well, there was the white on black one that was an alien symbiote that was Venom, but there's also the black on white one, which belonged to to anti-Venom, which was a guy who used to be Venom and then decided he was anti-Venom. So his costume
0: was the photographic inverse. It's a big thing. Let's not go there. Okay. Wow. I never realized how much ongoing and long lived trauma Peter has suffered that can be triggered by something as simple as two colors on a costume really makes me feel for him and understand where he's coming from.
1: If it makes you feel any better, Sue does tell him to get over it.
0: I didn't forget that Bentley 23, the descendant of uh, the original Bentley Whitman, calls him a big baby. Oh, I hadn't forgotten. And no, it doesn't make me feel any better. But now it is time for the mission. Apparently there are three rifts in the space-time continuum and they need to go and fix them. You know, in my day
1: job, I have to determine policy from statutes and rules in order to administer a state program that
2: directly affects the public. I mention this only to highlight how this adventure actually feels like real work. Now, the centerpiece of this issue is three double-page spreads where Javier Polito and the colorist Moze Vicente and Javier Rodriguez absolutely knock themselves out. And the first one is the Arc de Triomphe. Where interdimensional planetary portals have opened, and there's sort of dinosaurish dragons with way too many eyes. And also, uh, Archon from the dimension of Polimachus is there with his lightning bolts that he's got in the quiver in his back.
0: It's awesome. I have said it before, and I have said it again. Comics are so weird.
2: Ah, Archon, my favorite barbarian from an alternate world who throws lightning bolts. A wonderful deep cut character, and he actually gave Storm a bunch of those lightning bolts. Not like Storm needs extra lightning bolts because she makes lightning bolts, but, you know, she's got some in case she needs them. I hate to be one of those guys, but
1: wasn't it Cyclops that he gave
2: those to? Oh, oh, you're so right. You're so right. I I don't know what I was thinking.
0: Yes! One point for Rick. After some punches are thrown and science is done, the non-REED members have a seat and enjoy the local delicacies and are
2: harassed by a mime. You can't hear what I'm saying right now because I'm miming it, but I'm talking about, uh, in my silent way, about the importance of anti-mime laws. <laughs> Agreed.
1: Hey, two-year state high school champion in mime competition sitting right
2: in. Here. If you were a mime, then why are you always talking? All uh, right, settle down, guys. Uh, so the French mime—he's in full Marcel Marceau get-up. He bugs Ben. He's like, "Hey, you big gorilla, you don't do that to the thing." Ben dumps the pastries he was eating, and he goes to the Fantastic Car to sulk about how you know people always see him as a monster. And the mime keeps mocking him, and so Sue Richards comes up with a brilliant idea and actually puts him in an invisible box. An invisible box that is shrinking. And you see him going, oh, dear God, it's closing in on me, help! Uh, Translated from French yelling, says the footnote, I love that. Johnny would have been proud, Spider-Man says.
1: As the team heads off to their next battle, Spidey sends his girlfriend a voicemail, letting her know that he has been sent out of town in the middle of the night for a business trip, so he's not going to be home to see her tomorrow. She gets this while she is working a murder scene. How lovely!
0: How lovely! Back in the microverse, the team is helping to stabilize superego, the living Atom, to keep her from, hmm, exploding.
2: This is another knockout of a Javier Polito two-page spread, and it is superego, the living Atom, who is on the model of Ego the Living Planet from Fantastic Four history, the Jack Kirby character. And so, you know, it's it's Reed doing science, being the good guy. Ah, uh, science, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. So after they resolve the issue, Spider-Man and Reed start geeking out, and they start talking about meta-science, which is, you know, what Galactus looks like to different entities. Because, you know, as uh, Reed says, you know, do you think a cosmic devourer of worlds would appear as a Caucasian man in the purple helmet and boots? That's his meta form. I would like to point out that there's an amazing bit in the The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl early on, where... Squirrel Girl and her squirrel friend Tippy Toe are with Galactus, who's passed out from eating too many acorns on the moon. Squirrel Girl says, so, you know, is it true that, like, Galactus appears to you as, like, whatever you are? And Tippy Toe says, I don't know, toss me up real high and we'll see. So she tosses Tippy Toe up real high and he comes back down and, uh, and you see from his perspective that Galactus has appeared as an enormous squirrel wearing a purple <laughs> helmet and boots. And Co comes back down and tells scroll Girl, Oh yeah, no, big guy, purple helmet, boots, yeah.
0: <laughs> Speaking of big guys, it's noticed that the brain to brawn ratio in the team is off balance. And that's a thought shared between Ben and Sue.
1: As they exit out of the microverse, they are not aware that they are being watched by... Psychoman copies their expansion frequency, which is the
2: key that will allow him to reach his wildest dreams. The guy who lights up the signs with the names of the teams on the football marquee. Close enough. And who, in the name of Jack Kirby, is Psychoman? Well, I'm glad you asked, Jeff. He said, cracking his knuckles. So glad that I've got an expert here. I'm going to go to the best source I have on any of this, which is the internet. Uh, "Quote: Psychoman is a mad scientist." the leader of a technocracy that governed a system of worlds within a microverse. Facing overpopulation, he determined that it would be easier to cross other dimensions than to travel to other systems. I mean, I could have done that. But have you destroyed your health and eyes writing a book about comic books? Well, no. Ha. Meanwhile, in the Baxter Building... Home of the bedtime-busting baby... Uh, kids, okay... Alliteration. Alliteration's important.
1: Alex and the Dragon Man are demonstrating that they have absolutely no authority as the children of the Future Foundation are
2: running amok. Except for Valeria, who is being very, very Valeria. And despite the fact that she's three and is being drawn like a seven-year-old because nobody in all of comics can draw three-year-olds, she's she's checking in on her parents and she triangulates the dimensional anomalies and she's plotted the third location of where they're going to be heading, smack in the middle of Cuba. Is the Future Foundation going to fight Castro? I mean, probably not. Comics are not political, remember? Uh, no, I go into this at some length in uh, all of Marvels, but comics have always been political. And in fact, you Captain let me America... cut you off there to avoid spoilers, Douglas. I'm waiting for the movie. I was just going to say Captain America had a tete to tete with Fidel Castro about 15 years ago. That's all. SPOILERS! Anyway, Val is keyed in on the location as the first time her family went through time. While that is accurate and fascinating and connects to my own podcast, The Voice of Latveria focused on uh, the Marvel Universe's greatest hero, Victor Von Doom, and his time platform. But I'm I'm more interested in when this new Future Foundation
0: is and what exactly they are looking at. The when seems to be the year 3,141,592,653, maybe on a Tuesday. The where seems to be Earth's orbit, and the what is Baxter Sab Jeff. Can you describe that structure in space? There are 12 Baxter buildings that are in a hollow cube shape that breaks my brain.
2: Comics, the medium that delivers on the promise of surrealism. The team is greeted to the
1: building that extends backwards and forwards through reality by the Future Future Foundation. And
2: we meet the team of Megastorm, Supremo, Xander, Yancey, and Captain Wakanda. I love Captain Wakanda's design. Once again, <sighs> Javier Polito, the best designer in comics right now. I Love his stuff. Anyway, the future guys are stumped because the tech that they're using is so old. Quotes. It's so ancient that secrets have been lost to time. How old is is it? it? It's so old. It basically looks like Kirby tech. Cricket, cricket,
1: cricket. So they can't fix the tech because
0: it's out of date but it's totally in Reed's wheelhouse. Spidey glances at the tech and mentions, out loud, that he's getting tons of good ideas for his job back at home. Now, at
2: this point, I would like to invoke Unbeatable Squirrel Girl again, because there's a story that involves time travel with, in fact, Dr. Doom's time platform, Uh, once again, but uh, this story is centered on a cafe called Café Papillon, named after the butterfly effect, which has clearly occurred to Reed that there's gonna be some butterfly effect stuff going on if uh, Peter decides to invent some of this a few millennia too early. So he makes uh, Peter pinky swear promise on the forgotten memory of the wife that he no longer has retroactively. He makes Peter swear he's not gonna use any future tech for inspiration in the present because Reed is the only one who can do that. You know, there's a fan theory that Reed does not naturally have superpowers that he found a crashed Skrull ship at some point, and every bit of tech that he has ever used comes from that. Let's not get into that, though. Anyway, Spider Man is promising he's not going to use any future tech for present tech. Peter's so going to
1: break that promise and become exactly like Reed.
0: (sighs) Peter Parker, you're a liar. But while Peter grumbles about not being allowed to use a future sports almanac in the past, we go back to one last scene in that past. Carly shows up at Pete's job to have them ship him some cookies she baked by way of apology for having walked out on him the night before.
1: Okay, now wait a minute. Being a government employee, I am really confused by these extra perks. Will employers really send their employees cookies? Man, I've got the wrong profession.
2: In this particular case, they will not, because as the secretary Flo, because secretaries in the Marvel Universe have to be called Flo after Flo Steinberg. So Flo points out, I'm sorry, dear, but we haven't set Peter anywhere. Are you sure you heard him right? Dun, dun, dun.
0: Insert dramatic romantic tension music and post the To Be Continued banner. And now we go to the themes of the issue and talk
1: about the cover. We've got a couple of different covers here that were done
2: i mean there's the original paul renault cover which mm-hmm. uh, there seems to be a lot of stuff it doesn't seem to, oh no actually that's the variant that's the variant we're looking yeah. at yeah okay no wonder it doesn't have anything to do with the issue right <laughs> um the original cover is actually a kind of striking painted piece with uh peter in a dramatic pose against some sort of abstract spiraling backdrop that it's it almost makes me think of the gun barrel scene from a 007 movie. Yeah, it does, except it seems like it was done much, much faster with Photoshop, like whoever did the cover, like spent so much time getting all the modeling right on Peter's costume,
0: and then ran out of time it was like, okay, okay, we're done. Yeah. It's got that swirly, yeah. and I can see that as tying in in the sense of the clock spiral of going backward and forward and through time. I can also mm-hmm. see it as the size shifting of going back and forward through through sizing. And the viral that you do when you get into mimery.
1: And and I should say, too, that this is the Marco Gjordvec. He did the cover
2: of this. So we've got that second mysterious Paul Renault cover that doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything. And then but we have Thor Goes Hollywood p- variant cover, it says on the inside of the book. Thor Goes Hollywood. Okay. Which explains why we have Sif going. Is that a machine gun she's holding? Yep. Yeah. And it looks like there's a freaking cat down below her. And it looks Ooh. like she's
1: standing on. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say brood since we're in the Marvel comics, but an
2: alien xenomorph, maybe. Yeah, it looks like mm. brood, but it could be anything. Generic yeah. space monster. Space monster. And then we get like the beautiful, beautiful Javier Polito cover, which was part of a set of five covers that all say when you put them together, The Amazing Spider-Man by Dan Slot. By Dan Slot. Okay, first of all. Dan Slott did not even write every issue in there. The last one is a Fred, Fred Van Lent jam. And also, like, why not say The Amazing Spider-Man by Javier Polito? Or Marcos Martin? Or
1: just The Amazing Spider-Man.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. why,
1: not, why not just take out the name on there? But I guess they're trying to put up the fact that Dan Slott's starting his run on Spider-Man now, I guess.
2: Possibly. Yeah, I mean, he started his run on Spider-Man 100 issues earlier. He started his... Run as the one main writer of Spider-Man with number 648, so he's still not starting it right here, like 10 issues earlier. So it's just, there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. I mean, Dan Slott is bringing a lot of good stuff to this comic, but the artists are bringing so much good stuff also.
1: And if nothing else, having this in here, this story and this kind of introduction, it's Jonathan Hickman's idea of getting Spider-Man on Fantastic Four team, so...
2: At the same time, you know Dan Slott has always been like the giant, giant Fantastic Four mega fan, and there's a bunch of stories in this run where you can see him going like, "Okay, I may or may not ever get to write the main Sp- main Fantastic Four title. Let's just do as Fantastic 4 a Spider-Man story as we possibly can," <laughs> and he's real good at
1: that. Yeah. Of the of the covers, which one do you like the most? I actually don't mind this. This the main, main cover. cover looks great. Yeah, I don't mind this at all. I like yeah, this. I like, I, it. I like the art deco or the 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 strange background that's there, but I think Spider-Man looks fantastic.
2: I would agree. And as much as I like that Javier Polito cover, uh, it is just some clip art from the issue, basically. Yeah, very much so.
1: Let's get to see the inside of the issue. Now, you talked a lot about how much you like the Javier Polito art. And and for the most part, I like it too. It's such a switch from a lot of the stuff that we've been seeing that it's... It, it kind of sets me out a little bit. It feels it feels a little cartoonish, rather than what I've been seeing on on the uh, Jonathan Hickman run. And I just totally blanked on who's doing the artwork on that one now. But there's a, there's such a difference between the two styles that it, it kind of threw me out a little bit.
0: Yeah. See, is, I love that. Cause I, I see, I see it kind of as going as more of a comic book strip, like in the newspapers, kind of art style.
2: I love the difference in art styles, even from issue to issue in Spider-Man. I mean, they traded off artists issue to issue a lot. And very often they were artists with very different styles. I'm all for pushing that Overton window of, what kinds of visual styles are acceptable in mainstream superhero comics. And Javier Polito is part of a little school of artists, including Marcus Martin, uh, who was kind of the most interesting Spider-Man artist of this period, and Javier Rodriguez and a couple other people. I think they've shared studios. They all kind of know each other. And they have this very interesting way of kind of flattening everything out. Like, they're not trying to render stuff. They're trying to represent stuff kind of impressionistically and I love that.
1: No, I and, and I like it too. It's it's fine. It's just for me, like it's I different. said, it, it's different. Yeah. Uh going from what Steve Epting is doing over on the FF issues right now, going to this, it's kind of one of those tonal shifts, which is fine. And then going into the next issue, we are going to have a different artist too. So it's again, it's like we're in the middle of the same story. We're in the middle of the same story and we got a different artist that comes in. I do like the style. I and especially calling out those nice big splash pages that they've got yeah. here are those are fantastic. It reminds me of a bit of a Sunday morning cartoon a little bit and it's very cartoony in its style, which is fine.
0: It mm-hmm. it works
1: for the story that they're telling.
0: Yeah, I like seeing the variety of art styles in books and issues. It's it that's what I like about reading variety, the variety pack of, of comics, whether you know whatever company is producing them. There was a horror ones that I was reading I Oh, I'm trying to blank on, on what they are and who did it, but it was all like painted. It was just very paint smear art, but you could tell, you could tell exactly what was going on, but it was also just like, if you glanced at it, you'd be like, I have no idea what this is a picture of, but I get the gist that that's a, a, a spooky monster. So I love seeing, yeah, just the, how do you take it? Keep everything from the homogenous kind of nineties, thin waist, giant torso, kind of no feet, <laughs> you know, era of stuff. Yeah.
1: They do a little bit more, look a little bit more realistic. You are, you are correct there. You were talking when we we're going through the story that you really liked some of the designs they've got for the future, future foundation, especially uh, Captain Wakanda, yeah. which is a bit of a, a twist on the current FF uniforms that they've got a little bit of high tech and the Black Panther suit.
2: It is a beautiful throwaway piece of design for a character who is going to appear in two panels ever. Yeah. And like there's care put into it. It is a cool looking thing. You can see how it kind of works. You can see the things that it's alluding to. And it's all that work for two panels. Right next to him is Xandar, uh, who is our future Nova, who has a version of the NovaCore uniform that has been modified to look like the new Future Foundation logo. And he's appearing in one panel ever. So much, so much thought and so much care going into this. Jeff, you had some things you wanted to talk about and bring up, right?
0: Yeah, actually, I did. I kind of wanted to talk about the hypocrisy of the members of the Fantastic Four. Okay. Uh, I kind of alluded to it. I put it in script earlier, and it's going to probably come back up in the final thoughts area. But just the aspect of, hey, we're grieving. We've retired black and blue for our costumes. How dare you wear that? Yes, because the Fantastic Four can retire colors because they're grieving. They had a loss. Oh, that's interesting. Peter Parker has suffered at the hands of the black and white costume for a very long period of time and has suffered not only old trauma, it's still fresh trauma, but when it's compared between the two, people call him a big baby and then tell him to get over it.
1: Well, Jeff, I'd like to point out one thing in the Fantastics for his defense is what trauma are you talking about? Are you talking about the trauma that Ven- Venom caused him when he got in between peter and his marriage oh wait peter wasn't married i
0: think that hmm, darn it now i need to know what the all this <laughs> is. i'm assuming venom still had caused a lot of issues still <laughs> venom suit alien symbiote wife or not he had a lot of venom issues which has spawned into carnage and all the other rainbow bright care bear versions of the venom symbi- symbiote
1: I don't understand where Bentley's coming from because Spider-Man's also had his own issues with clones. Mm -hmm. I mean, he should be just hating Bentley.
2: The secret of Bentley is that Bentley really, really wants to be a supervillain, or rather wants to be perceived as somebody who really wants to be a supervillain, which he kind of really doesn't. (laughs) Well, his dad's not really good at being a supervillain. I mean,
1: he tries best. He's been around for a while. Bentley's got some aspirations. It's just that he's surrounded by... People that are smarter than him, which has got to be annoying. <laughs> and you know, he's he's trying hard to be a jerk, and he only kind of has it in him. He's putting his entire foot down on that jerk pedal, though. He's yeah. giving it his all—all all eighty pounds of him is is yeah. giving it the best he possibly can. He
0: might yeah. not be good at it, but he loves what he does. Yeah, <laughs> he's a hobbyist, not a professional.
1: Bentley is just subtly just some of the fun that we have in the book. Just kind of seeing what mischief is Bentley getting into. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he's the jack of the party. You know, kind of thing. He gets to say what he wants. He gets to do kind of kind of whatever he wants. And he just, he just hand waves away whatever repercussions there are. So he is fun.
1: Speaking of which, we do need to justify our reasons. So we do have Alex Power saying a couple of different lines, and here he does, says, yes, Miss yes, Richards, and he is put in charge of being <laughs> the babysitter of the group with Dragon Man.
0: Yeah, he tells Artie that they're making him look bad. Please go to bed. Yeah, so,
1: yeah something he fails out terribly in this, mm-hmm. but he, he actually is using his powers and not destroying sentient life forms, which is good. That's a step up from a couple issues ago. Kind of floating around with Dragon Man, trying to get the kids to stop messing around in the Future Foundation's version of Danger Room. Mm.
0: <laughs> I think it's just not even a danger room, so much as just a big room, and they're riding around on a bunch of Herbie scooters because it's fun.
1: Hey, if you've got a chance to ride around a Herbie scooter, you would take it in a heartbeat. Probably. <laughs> There's Probably. a lot of nods going on from every male on. Oh on yeah. This. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jumping into the middle of Spider-Man, I was not reading Amazing Spider-Man at this point in time. So I, the entire relationship with Carly, that is brand new. I. I was aware of the entire one day more Spider-Man's not with MJ anymore. I got that. But him with Carly is very interesting. And I think you did a nice job of talking about that earlier on during the synopsis. Is there anything else you wanted to
2: kind of say about the relationship or how it's going? So the thing about amazing Spider-Man that Carly plays into is that amazing Spider-Man is a romantic comedy very, very often like from when John Romita comes in, in 1966 onward, it is a rom-com it is Peter Parker and his love life difficulties, because that's funny, and that is another kind of born loser kind of thing, where you know he has the best of intentions and always, always, always messes up. If P- if Peter is married, that can't happen. I was
1: going to say, isn't that also a bit of a f- throwback to the early early comic books that Stan Lee and Ditko and all those guys were in, that were the old love comics?
2: So Ditko actually only ever drew, like, two or three romance comics ever. So Ditko had a lot of incredible strengths as a cartoonist, but drawing attractive people was not one of them. So his way of like drawing romance comics or showing sparks flying between two people would just be to, like, cover the entire panel with hearts. Didn't work so hot. But, you know, Lee had a history in romance comics, and John Romita especially had been drawing romance comics for ten solid years at DC before he came over to to draw Spider-Man at Marvel. So there was that and one of the innovations of the marvel universe was that it took all these genre comics that existed before this the monster comics and the crime comics and the romance comics and the humor comics and kind of mushed them all together into one thing and it gave you all of those things at once and that's what 60s spider-man did it's what 60s fantastic four did like if you look at those 60s marvels they're all the genres at once. And that's one of the cool things about them. And especially in Spider-Man, they could really play with romantic comedy because Spider-Man is a buildings roman. is a story about how a boy becomes a man. How is this kid going to grow up? And part of that is like, okay, he's going to get his love life in order. And so as long as it's a rom-com, you can do that. And once Peter Parker is married, you can't do that anymore. So about
1: 20 years then we're like okay we've mined all of the marriage jokes we possibly can do.
2: They tried to break them up, they tried to kill Mary Jane, all of- so many strategies of like how can we get out of this the whole clone saga was also an attempt to get out of that and go back to like you know here's a peter parker who has to build his life from scratch because the the clone saga was going to end originally with discovering that ben riley the other spider-man was actually the real peter parker and the real peter parker was going to marry Mary, like now married to mary jane mary jane was going to have a kid and they were going to move off to portland oregon and live happily ever after, which they did for about a month and a half before there was enough outcry that uh, Marvel Editorial reversed course and was like, oh, no, actually, no, he is the original Spider-Man, and yeah, no, Ben's not the real Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry, we, we had it backwards. Okay, as you were. <laughs> I
1: guess my question to you then is, what is your feeling
2: on One More Day storyline? Pretty much everyone who is involved with One More Day is not very proud of it. I believe J. Michael Straczynski at one point considered having his name taken off of it. Nobody's happy with it, but it's the thing that you have to hold your nose and get through to
0: get to what Spider-Man could be. I love the JMS run on Spider-Man so much. He did, he ran it for so long and did so many great stories. I loved his stuff. But again, it did bring him up to the point where he is married and he's in a good relationship and has a good job. And his life is going pretty fine, except for all the extraneous Spider-Man-y stuff. It's just the reboot without rebooting, but it, yeah, it's a reboot where it's just like, okay, well, we took it to a really great point. The stories are really good. Time to scrap it and start up where he's an absolute loser again.
1: Which is where yeah. a lot of people want to see him.
0: It's where the good stories come from. There's a lot of story options in there, which is why it's the yeah, the 60 odd years of Peter trying to get into a relationship. Oh, he's with Betty Brant now. Oh, okay. He's with, you know, so-and-so or whoever, Carly or, you know, just all the different people. And then you just, you scrap it and you restart the
2: big spider-man chapter in all the marvels is really about how spider-man is a cyclical kind of story it's it's a bitsy spider like peter parker climbs up to a certain point and then is knocked back down again and has to start climbing all over again so it you know it's a it's a coming of age story that's been happening for 60 years you got to come of age at some point or something has to happen to make you start over and that kept, keeps happening what's interesting about this period like brand new day and big time like the Dan Slot, the first the first two acts of the Dan Slot period, are that he knows that it's a cycle. He knows that we've seen it before. The other writers who are in the brain trust during the brand new day period from 2008 to 2011 or so, we know that this is happening over and over. Let's do something to make it different. And so what happens at the end of this cycle is in fact very different. And then you get the whole Superior Spider-Man story, yeah. which is amazing. It's really good. And and is the Peter Parker story inside out and
0: upside down and backwards. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the fact, too, that he he reaches all the successes that he wants. He gets Parker Industries. He develops the web device. It's all the things. He's got the spider car, and it's awesome. There's so many things. He learns how to drive. He's learning martial arts. He gets he talks to, uh, I can't remember the martial artist name. but Chi. De- Shen Chi, who develops a spider martial arts based only for Spider-Man. And his dexterity. Yeah, so many good things. And the higher he climbs, the further he has to
2: fall. Yep. And w- and when he falls, it is once again him just being too responsible. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Doing what he has to do and destroying himself and destroying a whole lot of other people's lives in the process.
0: It's like Peter Parker really can be summarized by Harry Dresden's tombstone, uh, which <laughs> is he died doing the right thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. We are off on a whole new tangent now. That's good. I'm I'm enjoying
0: it. Let's just keep talking. (laughs) I am too. (laughs) I
1: love this too. Anytime we get fans talking about comic books, it's a good time. It's a good time. This is the – you walk into a comic book store and you you walk in the middle of a conversation about the Chris Claremont run of X-Men versus the Wolfman run of Titans and go. (laughs) All right, let's get into the final thoughts. Let's get into some of the Gallery Greatness. I think we got a lot more to talk about, but I think it's going to be in the notes that we have. So let's go ahead and round the horn and talk a little bit about some of our favorite joke art in the book. What piece of art in the book needs to be printed out and placed on, like I said, the Danger Room style walls inside the Baxter building where all the kids are
2: playing? Guest first. Douglas, do you have a good joke one for us? Honestly, the Mobius Baxter building page is hysterical. (laughs) Like, it's beautifully rendered, and it's funny. I actually have that one as my
1: top good art. And my comment on that one was, my brain pan hurts. Because I I just kept on staring at that and staring at that. And it's like, I know what's going on here. I've seen this before. But I love it.
0: I absolutely love it. That was also my top best one on page 19 of Marvel Unlimited. And I called it uh, palindromical architecture, which is what they called it. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But also, I could see, Douglas, why you would go, that is funny. Because it was.
1: Yeah, it's hard to say, you know, what's what's funny, what's what's not, but yes, it's amazing amazing art any way we cut it.
0: Jeff, do you have something funny that you would like to share with us? I do. My joke backup one is on page 4 and I call it We're bad at high fives. This is a bottom right hand panel Just a small little thing It's Peter and Carly waving goodbye to each other As they walk out of their romantic evening To go to their various crime fighting activities And they're just waving But it really looks like they're trying to give each other high fives But they're just really, really bad at it they're, they're kind of bad at the entire relationship thing At this point Pretty in time much. I do like a thing where they're talking And it's just like, hey, we don't need to take this fast." And I think Carly is like, nobody's gonna accuse us Of taking this relationship fast." <laughs> Mad at lots of things.
1: They are just going back to what we were saying. Why do we like Peter Parker? Because Peter Parker reminds us of us. Nobody is a Don Juan suave guy. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there are some that are out there, but most of us are not. Most of us are exactly like this. Hi, you're cute. I'd like to be
2: with you. Speak for yourself, Ferdinand the Bull. <laughs> <laughs> Just
1: saying. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: My uh, joke one is on page seven on the comics, and this is where we actually see the new Fantasticar, mm-hmm. and mm. it's going across the the city, and everybody's in it. My comment is,
0: that's just a hot dog in a bun. Yeah, pretty much. It's a it's a Hostess Twinkie. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's not good looking. No, and it I, doesn't I, look comfortable. Also, it's just one big line. I mean, it's just like trying to if you think being in a car and having a conversation with somebody in the back seats hard. This is just a straight line of four people and it's like, "Well, I Hey, hey Sue. Uh, Sue. Up, uh, Sue. You can Sue, I I'm in the back. Hey, okay, never no, mind." No, you're no, you're just throwing things at the thing's head.
1: That's what yeah, you're basically. doing. <laughs> It's not my favorite Fantastic Car design. No, That's all I'm no. saying on that one.
0: No, it's a hot dog. You're right. Yeah, it is it's, it's it, it is a terrible looking ride, but it's uh, <laughs> made by a super smart guy, so it must be awesome.
1: Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll give
2: it that. I'll give it that. <laughs> Douglas, what else you got, sir? For good art, I'm going to go back to that panel of the Future Future Foundation. Mm-hmm. Like That is a whole lot of design for two panels that we get to see those characters in, and like they're – You look at them and you kind of know what their story is. That's impressive. Mm -hmm.
0: No, I I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. I was impressed by those designs. I I also like the fact, too, that you can go like, I see what you're inspired by. We read a, a What If recently where it was like, oh, it's the Avengers, a billion years in the future. And man, they are the same as everything because they're clones or copies or... Thors who lived that long. Yeah,
1: it, it was it was literally taking current designs and making them look futuristic. Whereas yep. this, you're creating, you know where the inspiration was from, mm-hmm. but these are wholly new characters that are much different than their originals, even though you can see where it's at. It, it's very interesting that there was a lot more work that went into this than what we saw in that
0: What If issue. Well,
1: That was a very good choice, by the way. That was a great very choice, choice.
0: yeah. Jeff, what else you got? I can give you my top joke one and that is on page 14, and I call it Sniff My Finger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Carly at the murder crime scene where uh, the Wraith had come in and spooked up a, uh, a murderer who, to get convention his convention. Confession and everything. And Carly's looking at the crime scene going, hmm, I've seen this purple powder before. And she's just got a bit of it on her glove and is looking at it. But it really looks like she, it's like, sniff my finger. It's got some, got, some, what is it? What does that smell like? <laughs> so it made me laugh.
1: My uh, top joke one is where we have the kids in the danger room and they're just flying around. And my call that one kids just want to have fun. Kids do just want to have
0: fun. That's kids a great just one. Want to have
1: fun. It's, it's just a great panel. It, it's a, it's a good fun one. It's they're just having a good time. They're going around there and they are just being, being kids, being
0: kids. Yeah. Did you have any other uh, art in there, Douglas, or did you have two? No, I think that's, that's what I got. Okay. Then I will kick out my backup best art, which is on page 16. And I call it Cosmic Butterflies. And this is after they had saved the uh, life of the super ego, the living atom from from splitting, because when you split an atom, it's bad. But it's just been in in black and white with this rainbow pattern of like a chain of butterflies flying around his arm. And I'm like, that's Gorgeous, and I l- love rainbow butterflies. That's just neat. It's got it's got a Jeff thing in there, which is interesting lighting on a character. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeff and monochrome
1: lighting. That's 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 his thing. Mm. I'm gonna go to finish off the art by going one page forward and the double page spread of Super Ego. That's my backup that's good, good art.
0: Yep.
2: <laughs>
1: Comics are weird, man. Comics, Comics are weird. weird. But this is just beautiful. Like I said, based on Ego, the Living Planet. This super ego, the living atom, it's a fun pun. It's a goofy joke. It's going off of Ego, the Living Planet. I love everything about it. I thought it was absolutely hilarious.
0: I, I was confused when I saw this actually, because I was just like, yeah, it's ego. But aren't they in the microverse? And then I was like, wait a minute. It start, I had to go back look. It's like, oh, super ego, the living atom. I'm like, okay, it's fun what your brain will just pan over because you think you already know what it is. <laughs> Let's talk about some
1: rubber and glue moments. We like to talk about what's the best or most childish insult in these books. Once again, Douglas, do you have a good or a backup insult that you'd like to uh, throw at Jeff?
2: The best insult in the whole thing has to be Sue's revenge on the mime. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. That doesn't speak a word as you do with mimes, and <laughs> absolutely gets the point across. <laughs> My uh, backup one was
1: actually right before that. And that's where the mime, once again, not using words, but using action, is calling the thing a gorilla.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. And then Sue turning it all around and just saying, yeah. okay,
0: uh, let's go ahead and put you in the box. Jeff, do you have a good insult for us? Yep, i got a good backup one. And this is on page nine, and it is after Sue's telling Spidey to just get over it. The Moloids, all. Bentley, I am confused. According to Franklin, this Spider-Man is an adult, yet he behaves like an infant. Correct. He is a big baby. That was my top
1: one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bentley and the Moloids calling Peter a baby. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Douglas, did you have any other insults that you wanted to share with us? That's what I
0: got. All right. Too tenderhearted. <laughs> <laughs> My top insult one is the very next panel on page nine. Spider-Man doesn't like a suit and I get it, which is why he accidentally left it at the Baxter building and is grumping about it and doesn't want to wear it. But they've harassed him about wearing the suit so much that he's just like, all right, I love it. Best suit ever. Can we go now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his his, his low key, just bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Let's talk about parent of the year. The Reed Richards Award for good parenting and it's good parenting or it's the irony of good parenting, whichever you prefer. Douglas, would you like to start us
2: off? I'm going to uh, say Max Modell of Horizon Labs, who is making sure that like everybody is getting properly credited for what they're doing.
0: Very nice. That's a very good choice. Yeah. Mm hmm. I like that. That's an excellent one. I always like Max, too. He's a great character.
1: The the father of the company, the father, making sure that the kids are playing well together in sharing the work that they're all doing. I like it very much. I like it very much. Mine was going to be Sue, and I'm going to go both sides of this. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that she was a good parent for making sure that the kids had two babysitters. Um, (laughs) But then I'm also going to give her a negative in saying that sue for not realizing that these kids would just walk all over those two
0: yeah she made bad choices (laughs) i mean it's the best choice in a circumstance but you know no it made it made the most sense it made the most sense otherwise you just otherwise you'd be like sue going and baxter building you're in charge make sure that the lights are off and that the kids go to bed building at that point in
1: time bentley is just going to reprogram everything
0: so yeah or make a bomb so
1: (laughs) well i'm sorry i didn't finish my sentence bentley is just going to reprogram everything to become a bomb.
0: Awesome, that makes more sense to me. Perfect.
1: What is your Reed Richards award,
0: Jeff? I am going to give it to Dragon Man, aka Baby, and that is because they're having a hard time. But even when you're a parent, and you're having a hard time. You know, here. Let me quote Dragon Man directly: When the kids are just riding around on the scooters and playing and having fun and not listening to him, he says, "Children, this is most unacceptable. To bed, post haste. Do not provoke me into using my flame breath. I am most serious." You don't jump to flame breath, man. You don't threaten to burn an entire building of sentient beings to the ground just because they won't go to bed. You got to escalate. Maybe he had escalated, but man, that's some bad parenting right there. Fair. Do that with my daughter tonight. Honey, it's time to go to bed. No, I want to play. I'm going to set fire to you. You do own a flamethrower, so yes. Uh, Yeah, I do. It's fun. All right, let's talk about popular and shunned.
1: We want to identify the characters who are the best and the worst in this issue. Who would like to start off? I'm going to throw it out
2: there. We always start off with worst. Who'd like to go first? Oh, yeah. I mean, worst. No contest here. Peter Parker. Mm. I'm agreeing with you. I am agreeing with you.
1: I'd be very interested to know your reasonings behind that. He
2: can't stop lying. (laughs) You're a liar, Peter Parker. He lies to everyone in his life. Constantly
0: Oh it was frustrating How dumb he was With his lies too When it was just like Saying oh I can go to the lab And do some work That's a great lie That's awesome But when he calls her And leaves a voicemail From France Saying that he In the middle of the night saying that he's been sent on a business trip from work. No, 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 no. Just leave, if you want to leave voicemails, just go, hey, babe, I am thinking of you. I'm really kind of tired, but uh, I'll talk to you later. And he could have just ghosted her for the next day and said that he was at the lab, or he left and he got tired and fell asleep and it was the middle of the day and he woke up in the evening. He could have done any number of things. He built himself a coffin.
1: I was going to say that he just messes up his new relationship, his new job, and his new team. I don't know how he could admit Make any of those situations any worse. I don't know what else he could have done. Let me tell you.
0: Could have set fire to dragon man. Yeah, good points. <laughs> and we got it. And we got it. <laughs> went a different route, but Spider-Man is an amazing choice. I actually went for Sue as my uh as my, okay. my my worst, my shunned. And that is because she's experiencing trauma that she's all worked up about. Understandable, get it. But she was very dismissive of Peter's trauma. Sue's get over it really kind of stuck in my craw. And also putting a mime in a shrinking box. Quite great, but that box got pretty small, and that is a massive abuse of power that she was doing. So I It's a also mime, so who cares? I, uh, uh, they're still, hey, they're, they're like, <laughs> like clowns. They're people too, buddy. So mm, Don't <laughs> say
1: that to a clown.
0: <laughs> By the way, I don't know
1: what I'm saying. I'm not kidding. Two-year mime champion in high school, so I don't know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the best. Who is the best in the series? And I'm going to go for a little bit of left field one here. Mm-hmm. Mark on. Interesting. Right. Hey, this is not his world, but no. it's his problem, and he's here to fix it True. with lightning bolts. Very nice. I am all for Archon just showing up, and I'm here to help. I'm here to do this.
2: <laughs> We're here to solve this problem. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So this is why uh, the Simon Williams movies with him are so popular?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay,
2: yeah. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. They're, I mean, definitely they are. And <laughs> it's Simon Williams. Come on. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> matinee no, idol yeah i just had to piece this together i'm like what are they talking about i'll just talk about wonder quietly. man <laughs> Wait a minute, wonder man did he do archon movies in the yep. marvel uh-huh. world okay i News forgot about that <clears throat> and
2: fun neat yep he's done a whole series of them so for my uh like the best best actor so to speak it's got to be carly cooper who Same. is like she is surrounded by liars cheats and Montebanks. The entire time and she is acting in good faith no matter what i mean she's got captain watanabe standing right next to her saying like huh this looks like it was done by the Wraith. captain watanabe is is the, wraith. the, wraith. Yeah. Yeah. Is the wraith. <laughs> Mm-hmm she's just playing it
0: cool and sniffing her finger and it all works. (laughs) She even made cookies as way of apology. I think that was a little two sided apology cookies where she was like, I'll make cookies to say, sorry, I walked out on our sleep overnight, but But also why don't you send these to where you shipped them to?
1: I will say too, that unlike Peter, She shows up on time to her job. She gets the call. She's out the door. She's there.
2: She also knows the baked goods are the key to Peter Parker's heart from Aunt May's wheat cakes on down through (laughs) Anna Maria Marconi's (laughs) cooking. Like it's that's that's how you get to Peter.
1: I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, let us move on to the fun part of the show where we are going to grade this. We are going to evaluate this issue against all of the other issues that we have so far ranked in our small guest appearances of Power Pack and other comic books. And of course, we've got our lovely ongoing list, starting with the newish number one of Fantastic Four, Volume 1, Number 588, A Month of Mourning, The Funeral and Memorial of Johnny Storm. Down at spot number eight, we've got The Loners, Volume 1, Number 2, Reflex Actions. That's where Johnny goes solo, and we're not talking about Johnny Storm there. Down at spot number 17, we've got Runaways Volume 2, Number 4, and this is where the kids try to figure out who Vic's daddy is. Ah, yes, the good old daddy issues. Down at spot number 24, we got Fantastic Four Volume 1, Number 580, The Fantastic Four. That's where Frank Leach and Artie they are going up against Arcade and the Impossible Man. And of course, we still have at the bottom of the list, Loner's number three, what lies beneath. Julie is in the hospital, and everyone finds out nothing about anything. Not a favorite story of ours, but that's where we're at. Douglas, unlike pretty much anybody else we've ever had on the show, you've read all these books before. So this, I mean, yes, this is our opinion of a ranking of these stories, but you at least have an understanding of them. And you may not agree with where we're at, but where would you think that
2: this book would fit within that ranking order that we've got so far? This is, I would say it's real high up just on the strength of how amazing that art is. I'm actually going to stick it between your current number three and number four. Wow. Let's see here. Last Stand, which is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Johnny Storm
1: going face to face with the hordes of Atl- Annihilus and the Runaways Volume 2 where we have the superhero fighting with Excelsior and they are failing big time. That, that was a, our highest Runaways issue yeah, and that was good. a good one.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm feeling less than that. Let's Let's just take FF number one as an example. It's in rank number 14. Do we like this better or worse than that one? The introduction of Spider-Man to the FF where he got his suit.
1: I, You know what? I think that I like this one better, and I think that that's actually yes. a very good comparison mm-hmm. because the first, that Fantastic Four number one, I, it felt like something was missing from it. I don't know why. It's like we we're starting over, we're moving things in, and it just, there was a pacing issue or something mm-hmm. that was just not right with it. This, it's a lot of the same thing, except here we're like... We're going off on the first yeah, mission, and there's a lot things. going they're... on, and it's it's packed full of stuff. So just on that, I think it's much, much higher than that Fantastic Four number one. So I,
0: I agree that it is better than that. I kind of don't feel like it's in the three or four spot, but somewhere in between in there. Okay, how about uh, Ben drinks a serum and becomes human?
1: Yeah, I was just actually looking at that one. The congratulations, Mr. Grimm,
2: you're handsome again. Mm-hmm. That's a solid story, but it doesn't deliver visually nearly as much. It's true. It's touching. If you're talking about, like, what is the most touching of these stories, Mm -hmm. this isn't that. But also, this is a blast. It is a whole bunch of terrific, fun ideas fleshed out for two pages apiece. And bam, you're on to the next one.
1: The thing I liked about the Mr. Grimm story is that it's Johnny and Ben having a Fair Spieler's day off. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of those kinds of things. This has got that same kind of feel, except that there's more adventure going on. There's more excitement. They're hitting a lot of more things. So I'm actually thinking that it is above that one too. And that's just kind of leaving us with the Kings of Atlantis and the, you know what, the more I'm kind of going up here, I, I'm actually kind of going with you. This has got a lot in here, and I think that the only one that's got a lot that really compares it to is that Fantastic Four 587, where where Johnny does take on the hordes of Annihilus.
0: Okay, well, we're getting uh, weighted ratios now, so do you want to put it in the new number four, because I think... yeah. Last Stand is much better than this one.
1: Oh, definitely. I I think The Last Stand is much better. I just think that the more I'm thinking about this one, and, and it didn't grab me that much when I was going through it, but now kind of going back and talking about it, they hit a lot of things. There's a lot of information that you get out of this, where Peter's at now, what they're doing, the relationship he's got with his new girlfriend. They hit three different spots, and there's a lot that's involved with that. There's a lot that's going on there,
0: so I'm I think I'm good with the new number four for it. All right, Douglas was right, right up, right off the bat, he called it, and that's where we got. All I right, mean, yeah, I feel vindicated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm still am not the biggest fan of the art. I think I, I still like some of the art in the other Fantastic Four books, and even to some extent, I like the Runaways art better. But I will say that there is some drafting, and I think you called that out earlier too. The drafting that the artist does in this book really shows a lot more craft and he's putting a lot more information in there. It may not be my style of art that I really like, but he's putting a lot of thought and construction into what he's
0: drawing. He did put a lot of thought into the art that he did. And it was very impressive and interesting. And that could bring us to our final thoughts on beer. And that's the beer that we drank, which was beach trip, a Pacific pale ale by brewery 26. So, Rick, what did we think of our beverage of choice tonight? You
1: know what? I'm actually liking this. It's not an IPA, so I'm not struggling with it. It's tasty. The taste has remained the same. This is a longer recording than we have done in a while, and the taste is still the same as when we started. It's a refreshing beer. It's nice and light. I think that this is a good, solid beer. I think this is a good four for me.
0: I agree. It's a. It's very tasty. It is pleasant. It is easy. It is not challenging at all. This is an excellent summer beer and excellent beach beer. Like Rick had said, the flavor profile had not changed. I've enjoyed it. I'm trying. I'm bouncing between three, five, and four. Oh, uh, Let's give it the benefit of the doubt. I will also say a four, just so that I can hang out with the cool kids at Rick's table. <laughs> and of course,
1: Douglas, your beverage that you've been sipping on tonight, you still enjoying that a lot.
2: The Rose Cordial from Portland Syrups, from their premium beverage concentrate that I drank, it is light, it is fluffy, it is remarkably well-constructed in its way. It's flavor-profile, more complicated than simple sweetness, and it nonetheless has a sort of roseate glow like Monsa Vicente's coloring. Very nice way of
1: tying it together. Very nice <laughs> way.
2: hard. <Kind of. laughs>
1: oh, that's okay. We have a very funky little thing that we do here. But it, it works for us, at least for a while. Not a problem, because
0: I was going to say what also gives me a rosy red glow is when we get to kids' perspective, and that's where Rick talks to his 12-year-old daughter about the issue that we just covered. So, Rick and Carrie, please take it away. Hello, Carrie.
3: Hello, Daddy.
1: Welcome to a new book. We're going to cover something else brand new. It's still in the line of what we have been talking about. It's just this story is kind of picking up a little bit with Amazing Spider-Man. You ready? Yeah. So tell me what you thought about this book. What was the first thing that really struck you about this book we read?
3: The art style was different.
1: Tell me what you thought about the art style.
3: It was pretty good. I liked it still. It was less of a realistic, looked a little bit more like cartoonish a bit, but still serious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Serious. And it was enjoyable? Yeah. And it helped tell the story pretty well? Yeah. What'd you think about the story overall?
3: Did you like it? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, who? Carly. Carly
1: is Peter Parker's new girlfriend.
3: How many girlfriends does a man have?
1: Well, like, if you've been around since the 1960s, you probably had a few.
3: <laughs> my god. So it's like, Gwen Stacy died. What happened with, uh, something happened with Mary Jane, and so now he's dating another person? Oh,
1: he's dated a few different people, but yeah, he's, what happened to Mary Jane, as it was explained to us, is Mephisto did the spell, where nothing has ever happened between Mary Jane and Peter Parker. They never met, they never married, they never had any kind of relationship. So that entire thing never happened. Wow. Yeah. So he met this Lady Carly and started to uh, date her. But he hasn't told her that he's Spider-Man, right?
3: No. I don't think he's told anybody that he's Spider-Man, has.
1: The Fantastic Four know who he is. But what do you think about... His relationship with Carly, how do you think that's going so far?
3: So far kind of bad. Yeah. Like they're just willing to walk out in the middle of the night to do their work work, I say with air quotes. Well, it's both
1: work. I mean, she's got work as a police officer and he's working for Fantastic 4, right?
3: Yeah, but he did kind of had to lie about that sure, part. Sure. Sure. So, not starting off with the greatest relationship, and then in the end, she became really suspicious, because... Yeah. 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 We went to that Marvel exhibit yesterday, and it said something like, Flo was like some sort of helper of Stan Lee.
1: That's correct. And
3: she looked the exact same in this, and I looked at this... After rereading this, I was like, wait a minute.
1: Good job, Carrie. Did they
3: do that for a reason? Yes, they did it for
1: exactly the reason you said. Flo Steinberg, who worked for Marvel Comics for years, was Stanley's secretary. And because she did so much for Marvel Comics, anytime they needed to have a secretary or administrative assistant in the comic books, they would draw her in there and, and give her that title. And they did that in, that in this comic. And it's really awesome that you picked that out because when we were talking earlier on the show with our guest for the episode, Douglas Woke, he has written a book on all the Marvels where he's read all the Marvel comic books. And he brought up that same exact point about that same character. So bravo, Carrie. You, did, you said something that our expert said. So that's well done.
3: Oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> what else did you like about this comic book?
3: I do like how the kids were reacting to Spider-Man complaining about the suit. They're like <laughs> saying he was a big baby. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, then his imme- and then Spider-Man's immediate change of heart after hearing that. He's like, it's great.
1: This is not Spider-Man's best day where he gets mocked by kids, makes bad choices with his girlfriend. He makes bad choices with his new team. Yeah, this isn't Spider-Man's best day ever, is it? No. Where did they go? Which of the three places did you like the most?
3: Future Future Foundation, because we got introduced to a few more... Well, I got introduced to, uh, like, a lot more people.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, this is the only time those people appear just in this comic. But they seem pretty cool, though. They seem pretty well fleshed out for (laughs) the brief introduction we got on them, right?
3: Yeah. Oh, another bad thing that was... That happened to Spider Man. He got shouted down by Reed. He's like, I can't use these. T- in the-
1: <laughs> yeah, he wanted to use some of the things he was learning about in the future in the past, and he's not allowed to do that, right?
3: Yeah. If you use future technology in the present, then it affects the future, and then future stuff goes wrong, and so many futures, and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. <laughs> and then your brain hurts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't want your brain to hurt. Is there anything <laughs> else that you want to talk about about this book?
3: I don't think so.
1: Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Good, good. That's about it. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. You're welcome. I love you.
3: Love you too.
0: I know, Carrie. Those pastries lifted really tasty. I'd travel to France for them as well.
1: (laughs) Shout out time. We like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. And, you know, Twitter is becoming an absolute disaster and so we haven't been getting a lot of people that have been liking and i understand that but we do want to thank those people that gave us a like or a thank you for episode 123 where we covered fantastic four 587 the last stand and that includes jeremy Daw, Charles gears tim price the podcrasher in his podcast the outcasters waffles and his podcast waffles and mates talk about things and we'd also like to thank those wonderful people that give us money to do this wonderful thing that we do that's right the people who support us on patreon and that includes the adorably astonishing and amazing edward burns cheerfully cheeky and charming char logan
0: challenging cheesy and chuckling charles gears destructive and devastatingly delightful damian whittier dynamically dangerous and devious doug jones exciting energetic and entertaining edward verochi Intelligent, interesting, and innovative Isaac Perry Jesting, juking, and jovial Jeff Pullier Just jealous and jeweled
2: Jeremy Daw Muscly, mighty, and meticulous Matthew Birdsey Mythical and magnificent monologuing Matthew Lazerowitz Rudely rhyming and running Rustin Fritcher Steely, salty, and steamy Sailor Bear Zodar Sad and sickeningly silly Shag Matthews Strange and stirringly steady Stephen Gray Tyrannically terrifying and tame, Tim Price. Technically terrific and triumphant, Todd Enoch.
1: Way, way wordy
0: and wobbly waffles. And weird and wonderfully wacky, Wind. Next issue, we are going to cover Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, number 659, Fantastic Voyage, Part 1. And be sure to check out my other show that I do,
1: a monthly Monday movie muckabouts on the Longbox Crusade Podcast Network. And Douglas, can you please tell the wonderful people where they can find you or what else you're doing.
2: I can be found at douglaswolk.com and I'm Douglas Wolk on basically every social network there is. And soon there will be a return of my podcast, Voice of Latveria. And also, please
1: be sure to check out his fantastic book, All the Marvels, where he talks about his walkthrough all of the Marvel comic books.
0: And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack.
1: Jeff and Rick present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience in Portland, Oregon with my wonderfully completed new Lego Infinity Gauntlet that is awesome. You would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website Jeff and Rick Also our YouTube channels at Jeff and Rick Present.
0: And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com Jeff and Rick Present All one word. We are also a proud supporter of the hero initiative, and we'll be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to HeroInitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can
1: tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, Always, we want
0: to thank the powerful people in our packs.
1: My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie.
0: My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My wife, Lisa, and our kid, Sterling. We, we love, love you. you. Until next
2: time, costumes off.
1: Our theme music is 80s action by Kevin McLeod. Also featured in this episode is Heroes of a Thousand Battles. All music is found at thecomptech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for a or License. Analyzing awesome and amazing. I can't. Nice. Cricket. Cricket, cricket. Nice. Mm, that could be nice, pleasant. Nice, nice, Which nice. we
0: all know what it smells like. I'm sure that we've all been there. We all end up there at some point if you live in Portland. Many,
1: many times. And every mm-hmm. time comes, somebody comes down. We're going to the rose garden.
2: Take over there.
0: It's rose garden. Got to fill all up right. that time somehow.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> don't want to talk to them. <laughs> don't Jeez. want them in your house. Speaking of filling up time,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we,
1: <laughs> we fill up time a lot. You're right. You're right. Let's move on. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Artist
0: Javier Pulido. Javier. Javier. Artist Javier Poli Javier Javier pavier Artist Javier Artist Javier Pavier Here we go Javier is better than no air at all Ex- <laughs> Javier Artist Javier Poli Javier 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 It's not light air It's Javier Artist Javier Pavier. Okay is, Are we doing who Just say Javier. Javier
1: Just say Javier Javier, Javier. Okay and Now say
0: Polito Javier Polito Javier, Javier, Move Pulido. on to the next one. Artist, Javier Polito.
3: Cricket, cricket,
0: cricket. One of the most realistic things I had seen in a TV show was uh, in Frankie and Grace, and one of the characters there had convinced his girlfriend, wife, whatever it was, to go to a comic book convention with him. And he's in the bathroom, and he's listening to nerds argue about who the most powerful character in the Marvel universe is in the room next door and he's listening to that and you see him getting angrier and angrier until you see him I think he's sitting on a toilet and then he's yelling to an empty bathroom that the other people can hear he's like no the most powerful person in the Marvel universe is Franklin Richards and you know, going on a diatribe about that I'm like <laughs> wow this is super realistic this is this is very well written for that alone because yes it, it,
2: it me as they say yeah, yeah. <laughs>